Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I come before you today in Jesus' name, and I thank you that you love us so much, that you create us, that you call us to know your love. And I pray for those who struggle with that. I pray for those who are struggling to receive your love in a, in a fresh way, in a way that brings healing, brings life, brings wholeness. And so, Lord, I ask that you would truly meet us at our point of deepest need. I pray that you'd remove the blockages that hold us back from receiving your love. And I thank you that you are a God of healing, a God who um, who knows us in the intimacy of our hearts and longs to grant us more grace. I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, just surprise us today with the ways that you bless us. Uh, go beyond our expectations of what we imagine to be possible. Thank you, Lord. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, lots to cover today. Um, Carrie and I were away over the weekend on a, a family reunion. You'll have a chance to hear some really neat stories about that gathering um, on Anderson Island off of Tacoma. Um, it was a beautiful family reunion. Like I said, we'll tell more stories about it then. Um, one highlight for me was that all my kiddos were with us, so that we haven't had that happen since, I think, Christmas time. I could be wrong, but I think that's that's the last time that we were we had all nine of our kids together with us, so that was, that was special. Um, today, though, I'm going to... Um, highlight a couple of different things. First of all, I'm recording this on Tuesday night after our Tuesday night prayer meeting. Yes. And it was another beautiful gathering, beautiful time to have some songs of praise, listening to God and sort of sharing our sense of what the Lord is communicating. And then I had a chance to give a teaching focusing in on the reality of understanding God's call and connecting it in particular to God's love. And so the bulk of the program, I'm going to have a chance to unfold with you guys some of the key points that I made in that teaching tonight. And then, um, and so, by the way, just uh, again, if you're in the Spokane, Coeur d'Alene area and you want to come and gather on Tuesday nights, um, we're doing a whole series of talks that are very much focused on the idea of the power of the Holy Spirit coming alive in us in a whole new way. So I'll get into that teaching shortly. But to honor today, today is a special day in Carrie and my life, July the 26th. Again, this is the 27th when you're hearing this. I'm recording this on the 26th, and it somehow slipped past me that um, it was the Feast of St. Joachim, uh, Joachim and Anne. Those are the grandparents of Jesus. How cool is that? Jesus had grandparents. Uh, so Joachim and Anne are the mom and dad of the Blessed Mother. And this day has a particular meaning for Carrie and me because of our, uh, our journey into parenthood. And I, if you've listened to Sound Insight over the years, you, you know that Carrie and I blessed with nine children, but not a, an easy journey, not a straight line journey, but one that has been filled with a variety of challenges and beginning with infertility, and then um, after 
Um, when we finally did get pregnant, we lost our first child to a miscarriage. Mary Grace was born, and then we entered a, another stage in our journey where we experienced multiple miscarriages, um, where we have more children in heaven than on earth. So that's one way of identifying sort of the path of that journey. And um, as we were going through that stage of experiencing um, a number of miscarriages, we would be seeking you know, an answer from the Lord. Lord, why? Why are we going through all of this suffering? Why all of this, this pain? And um, we looked to the saints for comfort, for intercession, for a miracle, and just saying to the Lord, please. And eventually, it led us to a new level of awareness around how God makes family. And how God makes family isn't only through granting the gift of a child in the womb of the mother in the home or of the wife to to become a mother. But there are other ways of coming into the reality of being a mother and a father through foster care and through adoption. And so Carrie and I discerned as a matter of, just as because of all of the the miscarriages that we were suffering, that maybe God was going to grow our family, we desired children, that God would would fulfill that desire through foster care and through adoption. And we first started by looking at adoptions, but at that point I was um, uh, working mostly in ministry, and um, we didn't really qualify from a financial standpoint for a number of the adoption programs. And so we started in on the foster to adopt um, program that um, was in the area where we lived. And um, what happened was I started, I ended up giving a parish mission in Boise, Idaho, and shared about the reality of the cross and made it personal by talking about the cross that Carrie and I were carrying regarding um, having children. And there was a woman there who came to the mission that night. Afterwards, she came up to me and said, I work in a a nurse's office or a doctor's office, and there's a a young lady coming in who is pregnant, but who I heard might be contemplating adoption. And would I be interested in finding out? more about the situation. And I said, absolutely. I called Carrie that night. We prayed and entrusted the situation to the Lord. And we then were able to start in on a, um, a private adoption through a Catholic attorney who, um, it wasn't a central part of his practice, but he gave over a portion of his practice to helping to um, helping uh, to um, help young ladies who were um, contemplating adoption to be able to do that in a way that wouldn't be so expensive. And if they, um, the young women were Catholic, then he would, if they desired, help them find a Catholic home for their baby. And you can kind of guess where this story's headed. Well, the reason why this feast day comes in is that as the timing of God's plan would have it, um, we woke up on that morning of July the 26th, 
after having gone through um, a variety of steps in the process of uh, adoption, filling out paperwork and disclosing all of this personal information, putting together a picture book, writing a letter um, as part of here's one of the families you might consider. And so um, it was on that morning when, uh, when, when, when I woke up, I said to Carrie, I said, Carrie, today we're going to get the call. Today we're going to get the call that we were chosen um, to be the adoptive parents of this baby. And sure enough, that day it happened. It, it happened on the Feast of Saints Joachim and Anne. And for me, that was so beautiful because of the way in which Joachim and Anne also had this sense of they were longing to be parents, they were childless, and they were looking to God for the gift of becoming parents. And God had specially chosen and designed them to be the ones who would receive the gift of conceiving and bringing to birth Mary, the mother of Jesus. So there's a very beautiful way in which, you know, God is designing from heaven the family and the way that family would come to be on earth. And so Joachim and Anne, as the parents of the Blessed Mother, held a very special place in our hearts, not to mention the, the, the devotion that Carrie and I had to the Blessed Mother herself. So that was a, a very special thing to get the phone call on that day, on the Feast of Saints Joachim and Anne. And lo and behold, when would this child come to birth? Well, I, it, what ended up happening was, uh, it was August the 15th, and I said to Carrie, I think today's going to be the day. I said, what if the, the baby was born today on the Feast of the Assumption and was a girl? And sure enough, <laughs> the baby was born on that day and was a girl. So let's see, the day that we received the call, Feast of St. Joachim and Anne, the day in which uh, she came to birth was the Feast of the Assumption of Our Blessed Mother Mary. So our daughter Anne Marie was born that day, and we adopted her, and we were able to get her from the hospital uh, the next day. So it was, very, it was a very special, very, very special um, set of circumstances, and for us, the Blessed Mother and her mother have had a very special um, honored place in the naming of our children. So all of our daughters have the name either Mary or Anne in their names. So Mary Grace, Anne Marie, Mary Catherine, Ariana, and then Anne Elise, Luciana, Liliana. So the Blessed Mother's mother has pride of place in the names of all of our daughter in the names of our daughters. And so you know, is, can you imagine if the Blessed Mother, do you think she'd be uh, a little bit happy with that? <laughs> so I, I think there's a sort of a twinkle in her eye with the idea that um, naming matters and, and how you end up with the names that you have for your children. That's a thing. There's something that can be very holy and very special about that. In fact, one of the things, I won't get into it, but on uh, on Friday, when Carrie and I are talking about the weekend, one of the things that we did was we had a chance to interview Grandma, interview Carrie's mom with a bunch of our kids in the room. 
and getting to know more about her life. And one of the things she talked about was names. So I'm not going to go any further into that except to say that on Friday, um, one part of what Carrie and I will talk about is the gift of um, allowing your kids to gain insight into the actual life of your parents uh, into your, you know, if, if their great grandparents or grandparents, especially grandparents are, are alive. One of the things that doesn't, let's say ordinarily happen or happen naturally are the kind of conversations where kids will sit down and say, grandma, talk to us about what it was like when you grew up. And the questions that my kids asked were really interesting. And the answers were surprising. I, I learned a lot about my mother-in-law um, at our little time together where the kiddos were asking her questions. So I'm looking forward to telling you more about that uh, as a way of maybe encouraging you to think about the idea of building bridges across the generations, that there is a tremendous gift that lies hidden in um, in, in, in grandparents and um, stories to be shared to help you understand a bit more of um, your your inherit like your inherit your ancestors like where did they come from what was life like for them what what did they do um it's it's a very endearing and it's very enriching so something to, to think about something to think about and again we'll come back to that on on uh on friday uh last thing i'll mention about saint anne is uh there are a couple of is that is is about the life of saint anne and specifically her relics uh, there's a powerful a couple of videos you can um, go on uh, to YouTube and watch about the rediscovery of the relics of St. Anne. And you'd stop and say, they have the relics of the grandmother of Jesus? And the answer is yes. And then if I said to you, guess where the primary resting place of the relics are of the Blessed Mother's mother? You'd probably say Nazareth or uh, Bethlehem. Right? Where would uh, where would these relics possibly be? Jerusalem, maybe. No, the answer is in a small town in southern France called Apt, A-P-T, Apt. And it is an amazing story around uh, the the boat ride that arrived there, and then the bringing of the relics with them of these early disciples uh, to the south of France and the sort of the miraculous supernatural arrival there and then what happened to them. I'll, I'll mention it briefly, but then I want to move on to the talk today. So back in a minute with more Sound and Sound. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. DrTomCurran.com.
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnes. It's great to be with you today. Uh, today, uh, I, it's the 27th of July, so it's the day after the Feast of St. Joachim and Anne. And maybe if you were on a social media platform, maybe you saw something come up that um, mentioned the miraculous rediscovery of the holy remains, the relics of St. Anne in southern France, um, where the, her, her relics were brought uh, by early disciples um, uh, early on. Um, and during the time of the persecution of Christians, they were um, put on a boat, left to die, but they were miraculously and supernaturally brought to southern France. There they built a shrine um, and a chapel to honor the holy remains, the relics of St. Anne. Um, but then they put them into hiding when there was a time of persecution and then um, barbarian destruction of Christian churches and sites, um, only to be rediscovered hundreds of years later when Charlemagne was coming through that section in France specifically for the, uh, the rededication of a beautiful church during the Holy Roman Empire that, was, uh, that had occurred there. And while at the ceremony, there was a, a young teenager boy, probably around 14 years old, who was blind, deaf, and dumb, blind, deaf, and dumb, and during the Mass, left his seat and started to pound on the step leading up to the altar and pounded on the step. And um, when they would pull him away, he'd become agitated until he could break free and then pound on the step again. Charlemagne took note of this and was able to discern in the midst of it that, you know what, we should not miss out on what is happening here. And so he ordered some construction workers to remove the stone at the place where the boy who was blind, deaf, and dumb was pounding. And uh, upon removing that rock and then a couple underlying rocks, they found a door that they were able to open and that led down to a crypt church um, that had been hidden and blocked off. And so they went down into the crypt um, tunnel uh, walkway, Charlemagne did, with the boy dragging him, the deaf, dumb, and blind boy, dragging him down this walkway. And then he started to pound against another wall. And so Charlemagne had picked up on the cue by now and said, remove this wall. And when they broke through that wall, there was another walkway. And they walked down to the end of the walkway, and there was a niche. And in this niche, there was a casket. Um, and uh, in addition to that, um, uh, that, the casket, there was a vigil lamp that was lit. Okay. <laughs> a vigil lamp that was lit. Okay, now did you catch the rock walls and buried and underneath? So God giving a sign of light there, vigilant, a vigil light there. And then when they arrived and they saw this vigil light, vigil lamp lit in this casket sitting there in front of them, uh, the light goes out and then the blind, deaf, and dumb boy from birth regains his sight, regains his hearing, and gains the ability to speak or gains his sight, hearing, and ability to speak because he had been deaf, blunt, dumb and blind from birth and cries out, it is she, it is she. And 
everyone's wondering who is the she well upon closer looking when they opened the casket and they saw a beautiful cloth burial cloth there was an inscription um, uh, and markings there that said you know here are the remains of the mother of the mother of god the the most blessed virgin mary and so saint anne and then word came up uh back up the tunnels that they had rediscovered the lost location of the um of the relics of saint anne the mother of god the mother of the mother of god and um it's just i, I love that because what do you what do you see at work here you see god's perfect timing in the life of this little boy of this boy and uses this boy to be a sign and a wonder to show how supernaturally God can bring about a work. Right? Who would have known? Who would have known what like Charlemagne, here's the Holy Roman Emperor, here are all these dignitaries, these priests, these those that are there to to honor this church. And how would any anyone have known that the relics of St. Anne were there? And the answer is, well, there was there was no way to know except God did it. And God did it in a way that was beautifully divine, putting on its head the wisdom of the world. Because God doesn't need someone who um, finds a lost document that says, here's a secret passageway in. God doesn't need a group of people to approach and say, we are devotees to St. Anne, and we tell you, please, Holy Roman Emperor, to um, command them to start digging underneath this beautiful church to find the remains. No, God uses uh, a boy deaf, dumb, and blind from birth to um, draw a signal to, like, look what I can do. Look what God can do. And supernaturally give these different signs that he intends that the grandmother of his son ought to be honored. And so that site is still a place of pilgrimage and a place where um, many miracles have been recorded and special favors have been received. So I encourage you, even though it's the day after the feast of Saints Joachim and Anne, to uh, pray for the expectant faith, the expectant faith that God can move in such supernatural ways, such beautifully divine ways that we are completely left astounded. Um, it, it, what's the phrase? Struck dumb? Like completely blown away. Um, speechless before how the Lord took someone who was speechless to draw attention to his power. And, and you know, isn't it true that we can be so deaf to his voice and so blind to his wonders that the Lord can use someone who becomes a beautiful um uh, sign to us of how he can move today. And that means he can move that way in your regard as well. I want that to be a comfort because you might be in a situation where you feel like there's someone lost from view. There's something precious lost from view. And I don't even know what it is. I don't even remember that it's there. Or if it is there, I have no idea how to access it again. Maybe it's reconciliation in your family. Maybe it's a path out of 
a very broken circumstance in your life. Maybe it's some situation where you feel like there is no hope, there is no way forward. And the Lord says, watch what I can do. Watch what I can do. So um, pray for us, St. Anne. Pray for us. Um, I think that Carrie and I, in our circumstance, were facing um, such a, a, a deep sense of suffering and loss. And to look how the Lord used, um, in a beautiful way, the intercession of the Blessed Mother and of His and of her mother and father to, um, to grant us our heart's cry, um, the gift of another child. And um, having received that child, the, the mystery of it all is that Carrie then began to get pregnant and um, uh, ended up giving birth to, you know, an additional seven kids. Um, so, again, the mystery of, of how God's plan unfolds in terms of even something as fundamental as um, creating a family. Um, don't doubt uh, the reality of family can involve God blessing um, uh, a husband and a wife with the gift of a child through that child coming to birth in, um, through the wife's body. But there are also other ways in which God makes a family and um, creates a sense of deep family bond. So, of course, uh, adoption is is one that is a very the obvious one that I'm drawing attention to here. But there are also those children that have been lost from view, but the children who still see us, and those are the children that we've lost through miscarriage. Um, we have a deep sense of their being taken care of by Jesus. Let the little children come to me, the catechism says. Uh, we have such hope for their salvation in Jesus that they are praying for us, that they are in the fullness of life and are praying for us, um, and and I can make them proud. They can still see how I'm living my life, and I can make them proud by the life I'm living. And in a certain way, I live my life in a way that's more visible before them than it is before any of my own children. And so you live your life in conspectu dei, in the sight of God, and we shouldn't forget that. Okay, um, I want to come back around to... Um, what I was sharing um, last night um, at, the, at the prayer meeting. We are getting together. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. First reason is we just have this, this sense that this is what the Lord is asking of us. So on the one hand, it is a sense of raw obedience to the, that prompting of the Spirit that is within us. We have this hunger for fellowship, for praise and worship, and for going deeper together. Uh, I think that that is connected to this sense of there are many families that are in refuge, that they are seeking a refuge here um, for their families, for their lives, uh, in order to flourish. And having gotten here, they might experience that at a number of levels, but what about going deeper in faith together with others? That's a deep longing that so many families have. And so that's another reason why we are gathering. And uh, Carrie and I just also have this sense that there is this um, a greater highlighting and convergence between the longing for a reverent Mass, 
that's often connected to the traditional Latin mass, but not always. There's definitely a movement for a more reverent forms of expressing the Novus Ordo mass, the mass in English, that um, the great majority of you are accustomed to. Um, but having that mass said, presided over, and um, that liturgy performed in a way that highlights the sacred character and crowds out casual attendance, crowds out casual ways of participating in Mass, um, which is just death to faith. Casual attendance at Mass is a way of killing faith. It just is. It's like death by a thousand cuts. You bring your kids to a Mass where there's a casual spirit in them and in the community around them, then there's no sense of, well, meaning, like, why are we here? If there's nothing that's holy, sacred, there's nothing at stake in this Mass, then why are we here? Because it's not very entertaining. It's not very satisfying. It's not very profound at a human level um, in terms of just what is being said and done, especially for those who have gone to Mass their whole lives. It's just the same old thing. Uh, and so awakening a sense of a sacred liturgy is such a breath of fresh air. Um, how about a move of the Holy Spirit? To awaken the reality that God is God and I'm not God. And awaken that sense of God is to be worshipped in spirit and truth. God is to be worshipped and uh, we are to offer him a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. We are to give our lives to him in uh, a great act of um, prayerful self-giving in accord with Jesus Christ's saving death on the cross. This is a holy work, and we've been invited to participate in a holy way. That faith is not only meaty, right? It's profound, and it will awaken faith, nurture faith, deepen faith, and help ground the faith of young and old in their relationship with God as a Catholic. If you want your kids to live their lives out of a central, a central sense of identity drawn from faith that will not come from a casual mass, it won't. It'll it'll just kill the faith of kids. So, um, so there's that, and then there's the sense of the supernatural that God works in supernatural ways. I just was telling the story about Saint Anne, and that the supernatural acts connected to that 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 awakens faith. That shows that God is real. That shows that the the dimension of the supernatural is real and breaking into the day-to-day, -day, into the natural realm, in order to, once again, raise our, our eyes beyond the things of this world and give us an encounter with the living God. So a reverent mass that draws upon the reality of the sacred and the sacrificial aspect of the liturgy, combined with the awakened gift of the Spirit the spirit of the living God moving in us and prompting us, pushing us, nudging us, 
uh, to live our lives as saints given a God-given mission. That's what we need today. That's why we're meeting tonight. I'll continue with this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. So talking about this idea of, of weaving together, of coming the, the coming together of the, uh, the reverent liturgical uh, stream that is moving the church today and the charismatic expectant faith, signs and wonders and deeds of power, come Holy Spirit, aspect of faith, those two things together, that that will move mountains. That will help renew the church today. So that's why we're meeting. And so um, on Tuesday night when we were meeting, I just drew upon something that is found in St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure, you might remember, uh, a doctor of the church, a contemporary of St. Thomas Aquinas, a Franciscan. He was the minister general of the Franciscans um, when he was a young man. Uh, but he was had such a holy reputation. Um, he was only 40 years old. Such a holy reputation and brilliant um, that he um, was uh, elected unanimously to be the minister general, the seventh minister general of the Franciscans. And he wrote a book that contained teachings um, for superiors of Franciscan friaries to help them to be um, good leaders in their um, in their friaries. It's called the uh, the six winged seraph is um, the original title. Um, in English, though, there's an uh, there is a version. I think it's called um, something about being a servant leader, something like that. But um, uh, in it he identifies three enemies of spiritual growth. I'm not talking about the world of flesh and the devil, right? He's, ta- he's saying, if you're going to grow uh, the members of your community, realize that there are these three enemies that will hold them back from developing their spiritual lives. And those are diversion, distraction, and dispersion. Diversion, distraction, and dispersion. And I saw a way in which that teaching found there is something echoed in a document that St. Pope John Paul II wrote in um, 1992. It was a papal letter on the preparation for the coming of the Jubilee year 2000. Sorry, 1994. Tertio Millennio Adveniente. On the preparation for the coming of the third millennium. It was a document that was um, a like an itinerary for the church to walk between the years 1994 and 2000 in order to prepare for the grace of Jubilee. So 2000, the year 2000 was this great Jubilee in the life of the church. And there were these three years of preparation, 97, 98, 99. And then the year 2000 was this great Jubilee celebration. So the years of preparation were all about forming the mind and heart to be ready to enter into the grace of Jubilee. But there was a, a stage before the preparatory stage. And this pre-preparatory stage, which they called the anti 
preparatory stage was the years 1994 to 96. So it was three years of preparing for the preparing years. <laughs> and in these three years, 94, 95, and 96, they were to be marked by an attempt to repent from instances of infidelity, inconsistency, and slowness to act. Infidelity, inconsistency, and slowness to act. And when I read that, I smiled because I'm like, St. John Paul II, you are alluding to what St. Bonaventure wrote when he talked about diversion, distraction, and dispersion as the enemies of spiritual growth. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I see it. So what's diversion? When Bonaventure talks about diversion, it's what St. John Paul II talked about when he mentioned infidelity. So what stops us from spiritual growth? Well, the first thing is when we get tempted to sin or when we actually fall into sin. That's when we get diverted from the path, right? So if you're supposed to be heading directly from, you know, from Seattle to Spokane and you get diverted, all of a sudden you head south and you're headed towards the Tri-Cities. You're off the path. You're not going in the direction you set out to go in. That's diversion. And in fact, you think about it and you say, what is it that stops us from spiritual growth? A lot of it is diversions in the um, in the meaning of the word. Oh, that's very divertido. It's very uh, it's very diverting. It's very entertaining. It's very enjoyable. A lot of the things that tempt us and a lot of the things that pull us away from God are things that at the surface level are frankly just quite enjoyable. So those are instances of infidelity and they do stop us from spiritual growth. The second is I think more uh, it's 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 beautifully insightful, powerfully incisive and frankly very convicting. And it's not that we get diverted, it's that we get distracted. And when uh, St. Bonaventure talks about distraction. It's what St. John Paul II is describing by the word inconsistent. Instances where we are inconsistent. And you think about it, what is a distraction? Well, distraction isn't necessarily at face value a sin, but it's a time waster. It's something that takes our attention away from what we ought to be doing. And so think about it. When you wake up in the morning and you are walking to your prayer spot, right? First thing in the morning, before you get busy about many things, set aside some time, carve out some time, get up early enough to have time to pray, to pray quietly, personal prayer time with the Lord, at least 20 minutes, at least, should be a half an hour to an hour, just time set apart for the Lord. And, uh, and make that a thing. Make that um, a non-negotiable. Well, what does distraction do? Distraction is, oh, I didn't, I'm getting a little, I got up a little late and I'm walking, there's my prayer spot. Let me go just get some coffee going. And then I see the kitchen needs to be cleaned. And I'm like, oh no. All right, do I clean the kitchen or do I go take my personal prayer time? Well, this morning I, what did I end up doing? I ended up saying, I'm going to, Pray while I clean. 
<laughs> so I got out my Divine Office app and I listened to the Invitatory Psalm and the Office of Readings and Morning Prayer while I cleaned the kitchen. Now, is that a is that a betrayal of my prayer time? Well, it wasn't, but I I felt like I settled for less there. I felt like I could have either gotten up earlier to protect my prayer time better or said, the Lord deserves my best, the first fruits of my time, the best time. And then after my prayer time, gone over and did some cleaning. Um, so, but, you know, and boy, that's, I wish that was the, that was the kind of distraction that I was facing. It's much more off common time wasters. Oh, I just got to watch this stupid video or watch, listen to this other news report or, uh, click around on the internet and just waste time or um, just time wasters, right? Just distractions. That not It's not a noble use. It's not a glorious use. It's not a holy use of time. It's a waste. It's a distraction. And what that does is it makes our practice of the faith inconsistent. So I think that the devil is really clever and and very overt about using distractions to make us inconsistent in our own spiritual practices. And as a result of that, we are falling short in our spiritual lives. We're just not growing in the way that God intends. And so, again, there's, there's diversion, which is about being unfaithful. It's through sin and temptation. There are distractions, which is about um, being inconsistent and just wasting time on things that are just unworthy. And as a result, we become weakened in our own spiritual practice. And then the third, and the third one was the one that the folks that were listening at the prayer meeting focused on the most, and that was on dispersion. And dispersion is, again, that rich, um, uh, the rich understanding in our tradition is that dispersion is the way in which we give ourselves over to many projects, many activities, many even worthy causes, but in such a way that the cause, the project, the initiative that the Lord would have us do never gets done because we are dispersed, stretched out. We just don't have enough energy, enough focus to be able to really give ourselves over to that activity in order that it can bear fruit. I'm going to pick up on this theme in a minute on Sound Insight. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. Today I'm reviewing with you some of the content that we shared uh, at the prayer meeting that we had last night. If you're interested in actually hearing the talk um, that I gave, um, just email me. Just let me know, and I'll be happy to um, I'll be happy to uh, send it to you. We'll we'll post it somewhere. We'll post it maybe on my Facebook page or on a YouTube channel or or somewhere. We'll we'll post it so that folks can get access to it. Uh, but if you're interested, you can um, go to drtomcurran.com. And you'll see a way to contact me there, um, to email me there. You can also go to mycatholicfaith.org. I know I'm not trying to give you too many choices, but those are uh, are places to go where you can me. So um, I was talking about 
diversion, distraction, and now dispersion. And you've heard me talk about dispersion, but boy, it's worth hearing again. Uh, and I actually heard a new, um, a new uh, analogy for that. I was talking at this, uh, at this family reunion with one of my sisters-in-law, and she has a beautiful garden and grows all kinds of beautiful flowers and was uh, just talking to me in passing about roses and how roses, if you don't, um, if you're not careful, I guess if you cut the cut the stem in a certain way, um, that there is a stem that can grow out of it that will basically suck the life out of um, the rose bush so that it doesn't bud and bloom and blossom in the way that it could because of this um, strong, vibrant, vital branch that ends up growing. And it's sapping the energy away from the job that the rosebush is supposed to do, which is to continue to grow and um, bloom and blossom many different um, rose uh, roses. Um, so that's such a temptation in our life today, that we miss out on doing the holy thing that God intends because we're doing many, many things that keep us so busy. So great conversation. It was a, it was a great conversation starter. And then um, I raised a question. Uh, actually, I posed a question to them. And the question was, do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? And it's kind of a striking question. It's not one that I'm going to guess you've ever heard <laughs> in any homily ever, or pretty much in any talk ever. Uh, it was a question that was asked of me in quite, a, quite an odd context in 1984. Yes, that's right, 1984. So 38 years ago, I was asked the question, do I have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Okay, now where was I when I was asked this question? Well, there's a story. And the story is that when I entered the seminary in the fall of 84, I became friends with a fellow who knew a nun. This nun was a um, cloistered religious sister named Sister B. And she belonged to a religious community that had as a charism, the charism of suffering. And the members of this community, most of them had some form of disabling suffering that was part of their life. And um, Sister B uh, experienced this disabling suffering as part of her condition, um, and it left her very like limited in her ability to move. In any case, she... Um, got to know my name and committed to pray for me. And so she sent me a letter before I ever met her saying that um, she would be praying for me for um, a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And specifically, that the Holy Spirit would make me fire. And she said, like the burning bush, that radiated the Shekinah glory of God. Shekinah is a Hebrew word that refers to the glory of God that shone forth from the burning bush. 
uh, a glory that, uh, and a fire that consumed without destroying the bush, that that's what the Holy Spirit would do to my life, make me a fire. And then she said, the other thing is that since I'd be studying, that the Lord would make me like a sponge to soak in the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit so that I could then become so full that this life-giving water of the Spirit would flow forth from me. So she would pray that I would become, the Holy Spirit would make me a sponge. And I thought that was very powerful, right? Can you imagine a 19-year-old young man um, reading this and just saying, wow, I've got this incredible nun praying for me in this way. Well, a couple weeks later, um, it was the night when they brought in, it was Wednesday night, Thursdays we had off in the seminary, believe it or not, Thursdays was the day off. We had school on sat- on Saturdays. This was sort of the old Roman system and calendar for classes. So Wednesday night, they would bring in an outside priest to hear confessions for the seminarians. And I can remember that this particular Wednesday, they brought in a priest who was blind. And I said, ooh, I want to go to this priest. (laughs) And I went into this priest and had an encounter with God. I mean, this priest was holy. And I confessed my sins. And here's where the question comes in. When I was done confessing and it came time to provide me some counsel, the priest said, "Um, do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? That was the context. The context was confession. The question was asked by a priest. I don't know his name. All I know was he was blind. And he asked me that question. Do I have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Well, do you? What would you say? Well, I started answering the question as if it was, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And he said, no, 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 not Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Really, ponder it for a minute. How do you answer that? And I said, I started talking about the Trinity. I tried to be like, let me see if I can come up with an answer. I was squirming. And he cut me off and he said, you do believe in the Holy Spirit, don't you? And I said, yes, yes. And he said, I want to give you two images so that you can understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He said, the first one is fire. He said, the Holy Spirit wants to make you fire. And I was blown away. I mean, thank goodness he was blind or he would have seen me, eyes wide open, jaw dropped, looking at him like, wow, wow. Did you read my mail? Well, if you think I was jaw-dropping at that point, you should have heard what happened next, which I'm going to tell you, <laughs> is he said to me, the, I want you to imagine uh, a, a faucet. And under the faucet comes a hand holding a sponge, a big, dry sponge. Now, turn the water on, and the water begins to fill the sponge, and it goes from being dry to being filled, so filled with water that eventually the water comes pouring out the bottom of the sponge. And he said, the Holy Spirit wants to make you a sponge. And at that point, I said to him, do you know Sister B? (laughs) The name of the sister who had written me the letter. And I didn't say that. Um, And I just was 
like flabbergasted, overwhelmed. Again, talk about a beautiful way that heaven breaks into earth and God shows that he's real and gives you these incredible indicators. Um, what a what a really neat, beautiful encounter. Well, he said, the Holy Spirit wants to have a personal relationship with you. And so he encouraged me to take on a practice of praying a certain prayer before I would receive Holy Communion. So going up in line to receive communion, I would pray the Come Holy Spirit prayer. Uh, Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you will renew the face of the earth. I would say that prayer. And I would then say, Jesus, I long to have a more intimate, personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Please grant me a deeper personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I've been doing that ever since, since 1984, praying that the Holy Spirit would make me fire and the Holy Spirit would make me a sponge. And as two of the metaphors for describing the way that the Holy Spirit longs to have a more personal relationship with us. The Holy Spirit's the power of God. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God that transforms our lives and sets us free to become holy and to fulfill His God-given mission. There's no way that we're going to fulfill God's mission for our lives today and bear fruit for God's kingdom, shine with the glory of God without God's Holy Spirit being set free in our lives and being empowered with that same spirit. That's why we're meeting on Tuesday nights. That's why we're praying. That's the point of our focus. That's our desire. Whether or not you come to our prayer meeting on Tuesdays, whether or not you go to your prayer meeting, do something to grow in a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit because it's the power of God to give us the grace of knowing God as a saint and fulfilling a God-given mission. Thanks so much for listening. Please join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.